Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, mi gente. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese Man podcast. And I have Mr. Winefulness himself, Sergio. What, Sergio, what is your last name? Because you never post, you never said anything. Ortega. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's on your thing. Sergio Ortega on your, on your Zoom. So welcome to the Wine and Cheese Man podcast. How are you today? Great. Yourself? Good. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to read your bio really quick and then we'll get into all, all things wine and chisme. Sergio is on a personal mission to help everybody be mindfully in tune with not only themselves, but also with their surroundings. His purpose is to consult the minds of all those willing to take a load of stress off their plates through breathing techniques, mindful exercises, and I am affirmations. These mindful techniques will help you speak positivity into your existence and the existence of others. So I find this very interesting because I've ha- I have a lot of female friends that go through this and do this, but I haven't talked to anybody from the male perspective. So I'm really excited to talk to you about all of these things come because obviously there's always different reasons that males versus females get into these types of mindfulness techniques, why you decided to not just be mindful, but wineful. <laughs> so I'm kind of very, very curious in regards to that, but before we get into all of the cheese, may we always start with the wine. And I know you have a couple bottles behind you. Which bottles of wine do you have behind you right now? So I have some of my favorites, which is Ortega Family Wines, a local winery here in Napa, which I would love for you to, intro- to interview one day. I'll introduce you. Her name is Jesus. And this is a Honrama bottle, which I'm sure you know, Miriam, doing great yes, things do. here in Napa. So I went to her winery recently and we had a wine tasting with Ortega wines recently, which was very, very beautiful, very unique out in the vineyards, under some olive trees, laid out, shade, um, just overall beautiful ambiance. And it's one of those things that I want to share with everybody. Everybody should go through that experience. It's not just coming to a winery, pour some wine, drink some wine. It's coming to the ambiance of being outside, listen to the birds, you know, uh, oh, watch yeah. nature happen and just be out in the sun, be out in the shade, be out in a little bit of both. And it just was a beautiful moment to share with the Ortega family wines um, recently. And so I want to make sure we we highlight those things and we'll get into further detail as to what I'm working on later. But those are some of the wines that I have with me today that I'll open up a little bit later. Yes, I'll, I haven't tasted the Ortega family wines yet, but obviously I've had a lot of Ondrama wines. But I will say this, when you go If you ever have the opportunity to actually go to a winery, take the opportunity, because it is like the, just being there and experience that is very, very different than having it at your house or something. There's just the whole, like you said, the whole experience, the whole ambiance. But I today am having Fatia, another Latino winery based out of, they're out of Sonoma and it's a 2019 Pinot Noir uh, from Carneros in the Sonoma Valley. So that's what I'm drinking today. So salud. Me. Salud. Thank you. I'll get my water. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm, this is so good. And right now I'm not like, it's a little bit lighter, but it's still very rich in the flavor and everything. So it's so good. But I think Ortega Family Wine is on the wine directory that we have on our website. So there's a lot of wineries that I haven't necessarily got. I've gotten in touch with, like sent them an email and letting them know but I haven't actually been able to interview yet and meet yet. So I want to be able to do that more often because 
there are over 80 wineries. So I could have one on, like, I would love to highlight one winery every single month. And that will still take years to go through all of them. (laughs) So it's good to even start somewhere like that, because that's how we highlight each other. That's how we represent each other. That's how we keep the culture rich and pure of just like no commercials, no billboards, but it's word of mouth, you know, and that's oh, absolutely on here. It's just spreading each other's word, giving each other some props and making sure that other people know that there are other wines exist from the Latino community out here as well. Oh, totally. And there's actually one in New York, our GNY, that's out of Long Island in New York. I was just made aware of a second one in Washington. So I knew that there was one in Walla Walla, Washington, and somebody just sent me another one out of Washington that we're going to add to the directory So we're always, because everything that's on the directory or either I've researched myself and found them or somebody else has referred me like another Latino winery has has referred me to them. But there's obviously, I can't capture them all by myself. So we have something on the website that if people don't see a particular winery on the directory, that they can add them and we'll vet them and make sure that they are Latino owned because, you know, sometimes people say it and they're not really. And you're like, don't try and fool our community, please. And so, and then we all add them to the directory. Mm -hmm. So we just want to make sure that, you know, we're at, you know, we are being as comprehensive as possible. So I encourage anybody who has not gone on to look at the directory to go on the directory, or if you have, and you know, and you notice that we're missing one, just send it back in. So so there's been a couple of times where somebody has sent one in and they were already there, which is fine too. Right. But it just gives us like, this is the first one in a year on almost a year that we've gotten that we, that wasn't on the directory already. So that makes me actually very proud that I'm doing, you know, the research and the work to get, all of these wineries on there. Yes. Representation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is oftentimes when I started working on it and people didn't know that there were Latino wine brands, like they had no idea. And so now every time I see like people putting these things out, I get excited, but I'm also like, I was the first one. (laughs) I'm the only one who has a directory, which is, you know, and that's what happens when you're the first one and people want to use your work too. But all I ask is just refer it, just say, Hey, guess what? We found this off the wine and cheese, my podcast. Like we felt like I don't get paid for it. And I've worked very, very hard to do this. So that's all I ask is that people just give me the credit for the work that I've done. Right. Give give props where props are due. Yeah. Because I don't like, I don't make the wine, but I'm like, I've worked really hard to put this list together. So our community can shine and and continue to highlight. So if you want to be able to, so if you're using my work to be able to share as well, then just say that that's cool. I'm totally cool with it. Like I said, I don't get paid for it. Just something I love. So anyways, let me get off my high horse. (laughs) No, but we need to know, you know, that's, that's part of the history. That's part of the generational you know gap that we have sometimes it's like we misrepresent we either misrepresent or don't represent and then later on somebody just comes and says look what I have and it's like wait I talked about that five years ago or something like that and then later on it's like no I did and then it's like you know he said she said but it's more about just representing the culture representing the the wineries and highlighting them because they have a story. They started a lot of them are starting from the seed up. They're not lineage. Mm-hmm. They're not coming down with all this money. They started um, as far as grape pickers, you know, harvesters, and then they got into the cellar. I mean, there's such beautiful stories that I keep hearing every oh time. Gosh, I yes. Like, it just makes me proud to even first be a Mexicano, Latino, raza orientated. You know, the family is just rich. And we just want to keep highlighting that. And so I'm working on something big over here in, in Napa, and I would love for you to chime in on it eventually, too. But um, we'll talk about that eventually, I'm sure, throughout the podcast. So tell me about... So speaking of all this, because obviously this, this all starts from somewhere. Tell me about like how you grew up, because I think there's, there's always a seed planted, right. In regard to whether it's trauma or whether it's in regards to trauma that we didn't know was there. And we figure out when we're adults, but what was your like childhood like in growing up? Because obviously that has a very big part in regards to why you found the path that you found. And sometimes we don't realize it until we're adults, but Tell me about like, did you grow up in California? 
Did you grow up in Mexico and move here? Like, tell me kind of about that. For sure. Family, uh, my dad was from Puebla, Mexico, born and raised. And also my mom was from Monterrey, Mexico. And I was born in LA, Los Angeles. And so um, just being second generation, you know, being in town and knowing that we're, you know, we're constantly working. My parents were constantly working. I rarely even saw them. You know, I see my mom going to work and it was just like, bye, wake up in the morning, give her a kiss, bye. And we like, we never even communicated half of the time because she just was constantly either asleep, getting rest, going to work. And then I'm coming home from school. And then my dad worked five to five. And so we would come home, get his cerveza, take his boots off and just, you know, just rest up for the next day. So it was a constant battle of just seeing my parents just <clears throat> grind all the time and just every day put food on the table, put clothes on our back, you know, be there for us, even though if they weren't there physically, but just there was always something, you know, um, there that they were like, hey, this is, you know, the food's ready, you know, go eat by yourself, you know, go serve yourself. So I'm the, I'm the last of four boys. I have three older brothers, two of them own their termite and pest control business called Burcal in, in Los Angeles for over 20 years, doing a really great job with, you know, with their business. My older brother, Armando, is, um, you know, doing things in the industry of house, you know, flipping houses and just, he's just very hands-on with a lot of things. So I saw my three older brothers, you know, ambitious and hungry. And I was just like, hey, what what am I going to do in life? And so I ended up going to college um, in, at CSUN, but little rewind. Um, yeah, I grew up in Pacoima, California, gang, drug-infested environment. My life was fight or flight every day. Wake up and look to the left and look to the right. And is there cops? Is there rival gangs? Is there other people that are not supposed to be in our neighborhood? It was a daily, I don't want to say struggle, but it was a daily reality um, adventure adventure um you know just to get to my car or just to get to school or you know go from one place to the next it was always it was never just you know put my head down and walk it was always look out you know peripheral vision who's on the right where are my exits so my life was a little bit not saying challenging but just it was a little not your average life of a kid to grow up in a gang drug infested environment and not partake in those things later on in life, not join the gang, not get caught up in jail, not get caught up mm-hmm. in drugs. And so four boys not joining the gang was huge for our family, yeah. where eight out of 10 kids were joining the gang off the bat. And so, so I told that- say something really quick, because you're like, yeah. I wouldn't want to say a challenge, but that can be very challenging. It's okay to say it's challenge. Like everybody has their own challenges, right? Yeah, so I, no. see, I see you searching for different words, but it's okay to say that it's challenging. And I think that's part, especially in our culture, like, ah, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like we're always constantly brushing it off. Everything's okay. Yeah. But, well, I mean, that's just generational, you know, generational um, being taught to get up, you know, you scrape your knee, get up, keep moving, you know, don't cry, dust it off. Keep going. Do, you know? Yes. Okay. I'm guilty of that too, because <laughs> like, it was very much like, do you need to go to the hospital? Oh, then you're okay. And I, find I do that with, you know, like, oh, do we need to take you to the hospital? You're fine. Like I do that too. I totally find myself doing that. Yes. Yes. So just growing up that way, mindfulness wasn't involved in our lives. Breathing techniques weren't involved in our lives. Learning how to calm, learning how to deal with anxieties were not there at all. So how, as a kid, how, when you, how would you deal with those things? I once heard from uh, probably like a book or something, a, a quote, and this stayed with me like the rest of my life. And it said, a, a smart person learns on their own and a wise person learns through other people's experiences. So I, myself as a kid at like eight, nine years old, I said, I want to be wise. I don't want to be smart. I don't want to have to go through all this struggle, all this heartbreak of breaking up, you know, making up and trying to go through things that I didn't want to have to go through if I really didn't need to. Saw my brothers go through relationships, saw my friends going out of jail, saw my friends in and out of drugs. And I was like, okay, I learned from them. I'm cool. I don't need that. You know, I don't want to be drinking. I don't want to be doing drugs. I don't want to be in jail. So I had to find another path and it was sports, baseball and my baseball cap, my soccer jersey, and everything was sport related. We, um, all the people, majority of the people that didn't join the gangs ended up becoming teachers, ended up becoming PE teachers and classroom teachers. And we were just like role models and educators. And it was just something that we created a path of our own, but we also didn't forget where we came from. We still hung out with the gang. We still hung out with our friends in the neighborhood, but we didn't try to partake in those things that they were doing, but we were very supportive of them. We were their friends. We didn't just push them away because they were part of a gang. We were still right. supportive of their choices. No, I mean, I, I hear that. I have, a, I had a lot of friends who ended up joining gangs and stuff. And, but I, 
I really like what you said in regards to that. Cause I think sometimes we make those decisions as a kid and you are very cognizant of that decision of, I want, I don't want to be a smart person. I want to be a wise person. I saw that through not necessarily my friends, but my family having cousins who did drugs and had deals who were in and out of jail and everything. And it wasn't like, Oh, I don't want to be a, I want to be a wise person. I was just like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to go through those types of things. So very similar in having like learning through their experiences and not wanting to have those types of experiences. Now I did drink when I was in high school, but I didn't ever do drugs or anything like that. Like that scared me. In fact, the first time, and I lived in New Mexico, the first time I saw somebody smoke pot in front of me, when people used to say they were going to smoke a bowl, I did not understand that. I was like, how do you know what's too much? What size of bowl are you? I'm like, I'm thinking like cereal bowl, right? I have no, I have the no context. Bowl. What about the menudo bowl, the bigger <laughs> one? Yeah, I literally had no context up until like my senior year of high school, what smoking a bowl was. Cause I had no clue because I was in sports as well. I was a cheerleader. I played softball. I was involved in all of these other things that kind of took me on another path. So I totally understand what you're saying, but the fact that you were even cognizant at such a young age saying like, I want to be a wise person and I want to learn from, like I said, I did as well, but I never thought of it in that way. I was just like, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. And then I had, I had three older brothers. So I had like, you know, my role models were right in front of me every day. So I just made sure that if they're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? And then later on Mm -hmm. in life, I ended up trying things and, you know, experimenting, but just because it was like, you are guilty by association. You know, I was already there. I was already with everybody. We're all, they were all doing it every day. I mean, from the age of, I can remember five years old, the local gang and the neighborhood gangs from the other street, they would come and just hang out on my street corner, which we lived in a horseshoe you know, it would go in and out and they would always hang out in my corner every day, bumping oldies, bottles breaking, fights happening, people yelling. And I mean, it was just like every day it was a part every single day. There was not a day that went by. It wasn't like a weekend thing. It was Monday mm-hmm. through Sunday. They were outside kicking it because that they didn't go to school. They didn't, they, they, they were selling drugs. They were hanging down the streets all day. So I was just looking out the window and kind of idolizing it, but then like, no, I'm good. Like, you know, I saw it from a distance and I saw close enough uphand and personal, but I just made the decision to say, you know what, I'm, when I got to college, I was like, I'm just going to take all these junior classes, junior college classes, as many as I can from seven to 10, just to stay off the streets. And I did, I was like in junior college for like three years. (laughs) just because. Okay. And I'm really happy you said that though, because a lot of times we, a lot of times people can't afford to go directly to university unless they get a scholarship. But also I think a lot of people don't take advantage of going to a community college because there is so much you can learn, learn about yourself, learn in regards to time management, not spending an arm and a leg and not, you know, and being able to come out the other side and saying, okay, you know what, this is what I want to do. And now I can go beyond, or, or maybe this is all I need. Or I think we undervalue community colleges and technical schools. So I'm so happy that you shared that because I think it's so important that we, you know, I feel like somewhere in society, we got to where you only have to go to the university. You only have to go to university and not at, first of all, not everybody has the opportunity or can afford that or can get scholarships for that. And we're telling those kids that maybe some kids have challenges and they need to get through that, or maybe they're not sure if they like school and they figure out they like school when they're at community college, but We undervalue that so, so much. What were the things that you feel like helped you when you were at community college versus that you're so glad that you went there versus the straight to university? I didn't have the smarts to go to the university, first and foremost. I was like a C student. I just wanted to graduate high school. I was like trying to stay in high school because, again, the influence of the gang and not everybody staying home and me going to school, I was like, too. They're chilling at home every day. <laughs> you know, that was easier. That was faster. That was funner. And the things they told me they did all day, I'm like, that seems fun. That's better than sitting in a class for six hours and learning for myself. But I just realized, you know, I had my three older brothers. I graduated high school. They were six, eight, and 10 years older than me. So they had a little gap. So I saw them graduate high school, go to college, go to junior college. Unfortunately, none of the three graduated from the university. I was the first to graduate from the university in my family. So that was a little uh, momentum to push me in another direction to say, hey, I did something they didn't do because Mm -hmm. I was always the one that didn't do what they did. 
You know, I was always the one that looked like the little runt. I didn't really accomplish much. I didn't play varsity baseball. I didn't play college baseball. And I was like, okay, all good. <laughs> you know, I'll survive. I, it's okay that I didn't play that. Um, I played all my life. I was only Latino that never played soccer. <laughs> I played, I was so baseball brainwashed. I didn't even touch a soccer ball. I was afraid to get hit by a soccer ball, but I wasn't gonna afraid to get hit by a baseball. Go figure. But the soccer ball hurts. I've been hit in the, I played <laughs> soccer for a li- for a quick minute and then I was like, no, this is too much training. <laughs> but I've been hit in the face with a soccer ball and it freaking hurts. Yes. And I've been hit in the face with a softball. And I just feel like, yeah, they both hurt. <laughs> they, they both hurt just as much. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. In my head, I was like, somebody kicking a ball and it coming off your face seems like a little harder than somebody throwing it from a distance and it hits you. You know, it just was a little softer. But um, just it was just my dad ended up coaching baseball. He ended up coaching my brothers and he didn't even know anything about baseball. But he saw that the coach quit on them early on in life and he stepped up and coached them. And he knew nothing of baseball. So mm-hmm. like kudos to him to be like, I'm going to. I'm going to step up. I'm going to take care of this team and we're going to, we're going to keep playing. We're going to keep the kids on the field and versus in the streets. And that was his whole motive was keep my kids off of the streets, keep them on the field. So we were always playing. I was always a little bat boy for them and then running and flagging the balls and chasing whatever, picking up equipment. I was just always on the field Mm -hmm. and kind of like Sandlot. And then as I got older, it was like, okay, my turn. You know, there goes T-ball, there goes Mustang, Bronco. And, you know, then we started winning like championships for our like our little league. And I was like, hey, this is fun, you know, better than being in the streets and just doing nothing. You know, so right away yeah. I just, I made the connection that sports was going to be my outlet. And if I stayed in do- enough doing that, I wouldn't have time to be in the streets um, partaking in what they were doing because I was busy. So and then I'd come home tired and dirty and I had to do homework. So I had no time, even though I snuck out and hung out and did what I could just to be part of it because they were all my friends. And it was like right. about 40 boys and like six girls in like four decades. It was weird. We just had a wow. bunch of boys. And so um, we were just all friends. We'd play football in the streets, soccer, baseball, everything in the streets we played, but I didn't play organized sports besides baseball. That's really yeah. what I play with the Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese man. Now that spring is well underway, let's swap out the winter look with a spring refresh. Our friends at Ulta Beauty recommended a few of the following must-haves. Starting with the eyes, Nick's Epic Smoke Vegan Eyeliner brings out your sultry eyes to the next level. This epic eyeliner goes on like eyeliner and blends out like smoke and it comes in 12 daring shades. So you can play it safe with a neutral look or go hot with their adventurous shades. Next, check out Hourglass's Vanish Airbrush Primer. This is a translucent skin perfecting primer that smooths skin, controls shine, and provides a blurred airbrush finish while extending makeup wear. Complete this spring refresh with Tres Luce Beauty Bold Yatrevida Liquid Lip Tint. Tresluce's Lip Tint Hyaluronic Acid plumps lips up with immediate, long-lasting hydration. They also come in eight bold colors, which allow you to take on the day with a burst of color. But remember, this is only the beginning of your spring refresh, so head over to Ulta Beauty and shop now, in-store, or online for all your essential spring refresh looks. You're also a PE teacher. I'm a educator, yes. At what point, when you decided you were going to go beyond community college and you decided to go to university. I know you were saying a lot of the people, if they weren't in gangs, they ended up being teachers and everything. But what was your inspiration to not only become a teacher, but to focus on physical education? My first year at CSUN, Cal State Northridge, I was like, I'm going to be a liberal arts teacher. And right when I get there, it's science, math, history. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just went to 12 years of this. I don't want to do this again. You know, and I was like, I ended up on the dean's list in a bad way. I had like two C's, a D and a B. And they were like, if you get these grades again, you can't come here next year. And I'm like, uh, what do I do? So I go pick up my friend Javier from his class. He was two years older than me and he was in kinesiology department already. And I didn't know what it was. And so I walk up to a window waiting for him outside and he's stretching out this quadriplegic man. He's like stretching him out, doing exercise with his wrist and helping him. And I'm like, what does he know about working with people? You know, I just was like confused. I'm like, he's not a sports, he's not like a sports doctor or athletic, you know, anything. He's just a college student, but he was already doing those things with people. And I was like, hands-on basically. And I was like, when he got out of class, I was like, what are you doing? What is that? And he's like, kinesiology. And I'm like, what's kinesiology? He's like the art and science of human movement. And I'm like, what's the, you know, what's the art and science of human movement? And he's like, PE. I'm like, 
there's a PE position, a, uh, like a, a class that I can take and learn more PE stuff and become a teacher. I was like, I want to do that. The next year I switched over to kinesiology as my, um, as my major straight A's and straight A's and straight A's. And I'm like, this is my calling. <laughs> this is what I'm supposed yeah. to be doing. I wish I learned those PE things in elementary, middle school and high school. Cause they were all great things of like physiology, anatomy, biomechanics, statistics. And I was like, that's the math I like. I don't want to do algebra. <laughs> I want to do statistics. Um, so, statistics in my head is the math of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> well, with sports, it wasn't that bad. You know, it's just a lot of like numbers having to do with batting percentages or, you know, yardages mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So for me, it was, it resonated with me and it clicked. And the next year, I, like I said, I transferred over to being a kines major, a kinesiology major and took off and with flying colors. And then I was like three and a half years later, they were like, you can graduate. I was like, what? I don't want to leave. <laughs> I like but Isn't this. that amazing? Like you're struggling, you're struggling and you're like, I really want to do this and you're struggling. And as soon as you find something that you resonated with, it completely was a total 180 in regards to probably like, obviously your grades, but probably I'm going to imagine and tell me, please keep me honest and tell me if this is true or not, probably how you valued yourself and how you saw yourself because I know for me, if I'm doing bad at something and I really want it, I'm like, crap, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? And then all of a sudden you find what you're supposed to do. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is awesome. Like it almost changes the way you view yourself and your self-worth. Did you go through that too? Yeah. Because if I would have got bad grades the next year, I would have been out of college. And I wouldn't have able to, I wouldn't have got the chance to even learn about kinesiology. So I thought if I stay in liberal arts next year and I get bad grades, I'm done. And me being done with college means back into the streets. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it was, I didn't, there was no, there was no third option for me. It was, it was mm-hmm. school or the streets. And I didn't want to do the streets. Of course, I've saw it all my life, but I was going to go back into being in the streets because I couldn't go back to JC. I already had finished, you know, almost three and a half years of JC just because I was doing like, $13 a unit and it was cheap. It was affordable, but I was learning and I was staying mm-hmm. out of the streets. And so I had an ultimatum. I was like, change your uh, major and see where you go from here or stay in your major and figure it out. And I just was like, I was not feeling history, math, science anymore. I was like, I'm done with that. So mm-hmm. when I chose kinesiology, I was like, this is my niche. This is my calling. This is where I should be at. I mean, I felt like at home every class I was, I felt like I felt smart, you know, for once, because like I said, in high school, it was a C average. I just wanted to graduate. I didn't care to get A's. I didn't care to get B's. I was just like, I got to see cool. As long as I get my credits, as long as I keep moving forward. Cause I just, I was on that teeter totter. I just was like, am I going to go back to the streets or am I going to stay and be a, a B, a C student, you know? So mm-hmm. school and sports, kept me out of gangs, if anything. And my parents, of course, they did their a great job. My dad said, if you get a tattoo, I'll erase it. If you get a piercing, I'll take it out for you. So none of us four boys ever got a piercing or a tattoo all our lives. So you know what I mean? He did his job. My mom did their job. Even though they weren't physically there all the time, they made sure that you know they were on our behinds as much as possible because there's four boys in a gang drug infested environment. We any of us could have easily been in, in that same boat as my friends were. Yeah, especially like you said, they they weren't physically there so often because they were trying to provide for your family. Having four boys that could slip through the cracks so easily. What do you think kept you and your, I mean, like not your brothers, you and your brothers not having your parents physically there as much. What do you think? Because what do you think really kind of kept you guys from going through the cracks and just seeking that out? I mean, you can't speak for your brothers, but really, what was it for you? The chancla, the cincho. <laughs> The extension cord, whatever, whatever was was in vicinity, it was thrown at us. It was used against us. I mean, but for good reasoning, we needed it. We deserved it. We were asking for it, you know, and I think those little rearings help a lot. Not saying that's the answer right now. I, I try to cut the umbilical cord and not do it with my son and try to talk to him about being mindful and breathing. So I kind of went into that realm later in life. But as a kid, I was terco. I was, you know, I was the last one. I was the one that was just doing whatever I wanted. I was staying out till till 9.55 because my mom would always call at 10 o'clock. So at 9.55, I'd go home and answer the phone. Hi, mom. Yeah, I'm about to go to sleep. Bye. And then I'd go out again till 12. So you're a callejero. 
<laughs> You're out in the guy all the time. Big, big time. At like 10 years old, I was already by the gang and my bike, just hanging with them and just watching, just like Bronx Tale. I was just watching and observing. And they and never, I mean, I would imagine, especially if you're around that so often, obviously you said the temptation was there and they never were trying to, were, did you feel that pressure from them to, to join? They were recruiting me every day from the age of 10 years old. From the age of 10 to about 16, I was recruited, not only me, but all of our, it was a bunch of boys. It was like 10 of us that were about the same age from like, you know, two, three year difference. We were being recruited every day. Like, and they would start punching us softly. Are you ready to join the gang? You ready to join our gang? You know, every single day, sometimes fun. Sometimes they were drunk. Sometimes they were on drugs, but they were constantly asking us because they wanted to recruit more people, you know, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. And so I just realized that I, I wasn't ready for that. And they came to one day, it was about 10 of us in one line against a garage. And I vividly just recall this day, you know, one of the guys, you know, uh, Louis, he had his, his, he had a, you know, nickname, a gang name and stuff. And he's, he had us all in one line and he, he went one by one to each of us. And he says, are you going to the meeting on Saturday? And going to the meeting meant you're going to take one more step closer to joining the gang. You know, it was like different levels. You know, you kick it with us in the streets is one thing. We're all friends. But if you go to the meeting, now you're trying to say that you want part of it. And so we were like 14 to 16 years old, about like 10 of us. And so he comes to each and every one of us and asks us the same question. And so they were like nodding. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Like they're going to go or they're not. You know, there was just like a yes or no. I was the last one in line. And when it got to me, I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm not ready for this. I was like, if I want to join a gang, it'll be this one. But I want to go and get my education. I want to go and start a business. I want to go and do something in life. And then he, you say, you know, right there. <laughs> and he respected that. And he respected that I had an actual answer. It wasn't just a yes or a no answer. It was a, this is why I don't want to do it. And this is why if I do do it, it will be this gang. But I'm not ready for that. I go, I want to go to school. I, I want to kind of see where, where, where life leads me besides just this gang. And he was like, fair enough. <laughs> and left me alone ever since that that like was the the changing point for me for them to kind of leave me alone eight out of ten still joined those those eight that said yes went to the gang meeting went and got jumped in and they were my age and I'm looking at them like dude what are you doing you know like what they were like well this is like the next step you know this is the next level we're already kicking it with them might as well join them and I'm like no thank you I was like no thank you I'll be supportive from afar I'm your homie I'm your friend if something goes down to the neighborhood I'm gonna help if something goes down outside the neighborhood I'm just gonna try not to help but of course I want to help because they're my friends but I was put in a bad situation at times because I knew people from the rival gang I knew people from our gang because I went to school with them and grew up with them so I was fortunate to be able to go to the rival gang's territory and not get messed with because I had friends over there I had family friends over there so they would be like oh that's they would call me brownie back in the day I was the darkest kid in the neighborhood we all had our nicknames you know just stretch and you know different names right yeah so mine was brownie at the age of going into middle school I was about like 12 years old I realized brownie is a girl cub scout and so I was like okay I can't go to sixth grade being a brownie so I took up the (laughs) ID and just kept it as brown and so it was like, what's up, Brown? Hey, Brown. Hey, Brown. Everything was Brown. So they would call my house and be like, is Brownie home? Is Brown home? And they'd be like, no, bye. No, bye. And I came home one day and I was, hey, Pops, anybody call me? I was, yeah, they called with this Brownie. This Brownie. I go, that's me. I'm Brown. I'm Brownie. What? And from that moment on, <clears throat> he started calling me Brown. <laughs> he never called me Sergio again. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, and the guy stayed my name and my nickname's Brown. I mean, I get jerseys brown on the back or whatever, but <laughs> it wasn't a gang thing. It just was like a street fun, friendly thing. But yeah, I kept the nickname and and I still, you know, my, my a lot of my friends are in jail, in drugs, you know, paralyzed, shot, dead. I mean, do you name it? I saw it all. And it was just unfortunate. I was going to funerals and like numb, <laughs> you know, I would go numb. I wouldn't even cry anymore because I just mm. was used to it, which is sad. But um, I just realized that led to me being like, just kind of drifting away. Like, I, I don't I don't even need to hang out with them anymore. I just kept yeah. going to school. I kept going to school, junior college classes. I was taking everything, anatomy, astronomy, every single class I could take, I took it and just learned from it. And I finally was, that was when I was finally learning. And in middle school, high school, I didn't learn much. Of course, they really don't really teach as much to begin with, but I wasn't really learning much. And when I got to college, I was like, I could learn about the stars Oh, I knew where the planets were at. You know what I mean? So I started like, you know, learning more and more and, and finding that to be like my escape. Yeah. I think that's one thing when you go to, whether it's community college or university, 
the things that you're able to take and to learn just open up so much. We're so constricted in, in school, right? We have to learn this. We have to learn that. And now it's all about just learning for the tests. And when I grew up, we did have, there was more openness in regards to the way teachers taught, but even then it was like, we did learn civics, which people don't learn anymore. But the fact that we don't teach our kids how to be prepared for the real world, how to balance a checkbook, how to do all of these things that we need to learn in life. We're just about these tests. It's like crazy. I can totally see why you ended up kind of going into and what you say, because I said, what is your why? So let me read that. And I want to talk about what, how you got into you know, mindfulness and breathing techniques and everything like that. But when I ask, I ask everybody what their why is. And you said, um, why are we having to learn mindfulness after the fact that something is not how it should be or how we planned it? We're waiting until we get to AA meetings, detention centers and jails to introduce or focus on mindfulness. And I, like I said, I have my friend, um, Yvonne, who she's actually doing these teaching kids, she's going into schools now and teaching kids breathing techniques and how to meditate and everything like that. And I know that the earlier kids learn those types of things, the more, the better they are to deal with just stress in general, everyday life, and the less violent they will, I'm trying to, JP, please, Juan Pablo, please edit this out to sound right. (laughs) Um, The more they will turn to that instead of violence when something happens. So what was your path into getting into that? Because obviously we've heard how you grew up and I can see like why you focus on that now, but there's a, there has to be a path, right. That connects the two, because some people will never find that connection. How did you find it? Just being a teacher, we would have workshops before the semester would start and every workshop we had, they would always barely touch on mindfulness. They would just introduce, okay, we're going to do some breathing techniques for about five minutes. We're going to stay still and we're just going to be calm for a few minutes before the meeting. And I was like, okay, cool. Started doing it. And then later when I go the next year, I was like, why are we teaching this to kids? I started just questioning it more as far as like, okay, we're getting it as adults. Why aren't they emphasizing it to tell us, hey, this is a skill that you can learn as an adult, but then you can go and take it to the kids and start teaching them. So I took it upon myself to start teaching my students eight years ago. But a little rewind in that area, being in kinesiology and learning about visualization, learning about the mind on how you can block out the audience effect. Kobe Bryant at the free throw line, 60,000 people screaming at him, and he has to block that out. That's visualization. That's mindfulness. That's being centered and focused on one initial goal. And that's shooting the ball into that hoop that he's done thousands of times. Mm-hmm. So being able to read that and see it and correlating it to life, which was my gang life or my gang infested life, I realized I was doing that by myself by just walking away or going the other way or just not minding what they were doing. I saw them doing it every day. I saw them smoking weed, doing drugs, drinking. It was just a, more of a turnoff at some point for me than to be like, I wanted to do it every day. I was like, I don't want to wake up hungover. I don't want to wake up with a headache. I don't want to be throwing up. Like I saw them doing it all. And I was like, I didn't want to do those things. So that was the going back to learning from other people's experiences. So when I got to be become a teacher, I have access to kids. I was teaching them catching, throwing, kicking, rolling. But I'm like, I'm not teaching them a life skill. You know, I just was telling myself this one day and I was like, I'm going to start teaching them mindfulness. I'm going to start teaching what they teach me in my workshops to my students. And I created this little fun cat in the hat theme song, um, you know, to, for the, so the kids can be like, oh, I heard that song. Oh yeah. The thingamajigga. I know what you're talking about. They go on this little exploration and they go learn about lava. They go learn about the sea. They go learn about the, the space. And I was like, yeah, I go, we're going to go on a thingamajigga. We're going to go in our brains and we're going to go wherever we want. You go anywhere you want to go in your brain. Just take two, three minutes to be quiet, calm, and breathe, and take your mind to a happy place. So I started coaching them in those areas, and they were coming out with these adventures that I didn't think they were even going to tap into. Mm -hmm. And just really quick, I had a little boy, and I tell this story every day in my car when I'm driving my clients. Um, This little boy, blue eyes, I always ask them after they come out of their mindfulness, they say, where did you go? What did you see? How did you feel? That's what I ask every single person I, I come across that I work with. And the how did you feel is the most important for me. But this kid, six years old, he says, I went to heaven. And I'm like, whoa, 
I go, what did you see? He says, I saw golden gates and golden streets. And I'm just like, I'm just blown away. And I said, how did you feel? He's like, I felt amazing. And I was like, dude, you were in heaven. (laughs) I was like, I can't take that away from you. You were just right now for the last five minutes, you were in heaven. Like, that's beautiful. And I had told the kids, I coached them before. I said, we're not laughing at anybody if they go to Barbie land, chocolate world. Like, we're not going to laugh at anybody. We're going to take it in. We're going to listen with our ears. And we have two ears. We're going to use both ears to listen to the kid talking. And we're just going to acknowledge it. And we're going to be like, hmm, maybe I want to go there next time. You know, just kind of just learn from experiences. So time went on. And I had this third grader, Roberto. And he says, same thing. Where did you go? He says, I went to Mexico. I go, cool. What did you see? I saw my grandfather that died when my dad was 16. And I'm like, whoa, that was like a punch to the gut for me. Cause I was like missing home. I was already in Napa for two years. I was missing my family. My dad was in dialysis. So like it hit me in the gut. And so I said, what did you see? He says, I saw his ranch. I saw his horses. I saw him. I saw his lifestyle. And I'm like, this kid's nine years old. And he went to go see his grandfather that he never met before, that he never saw before, that he never held before. Mm-hmm. But that's where he took his mind to. So from that moment on, I'm like, Sergio, keep doing this. <laughs> you know, whatever you're doing, do it. Do more of it. Do it three times a day because it's helping these kids go to somewhere that they've never, never been before. Or when they come out of it and when they say, how do they feel? They feel happy. They feel great. They feel calm. They feel relaxed. They feel awesome. I'm like, that's my data right there. That's telling me that they went in this feeling mad, sad, happy, depressed, angry, stress, anxiety, whatever. But when they came out of it, they came out feeling great. They came out feeling happy. And that to me was a pat in the back. I was like, keep doing this. And this was eight years ago. That's awesome. So how did you end up that? No, that's freaking rad. I think, you know, we need to do that. We need to share these things with, with kids and, and teach them how to deal with these things and take themselves into a place that makes them happy and, and let them start learning these things. How did you get to Napa? And then how did you change this for like, now you have this winefulness thing, right? So connect those two things for me in regards to how you got to Napa and how you went from mindfulness to winefulness. (laughs) I got deported. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Job opportunities. I was in LA. They were in 2012. They were pink slipping in LAUSD. There was no jobs. I couldn't even get into a substitute position. I was on the outside looking in and I just had, I was going nowhere fast. And um, I had recently met a girl out here in Napa, well, in LA. And then she's like, I'm going back to Napa. My mom lives over there. I'm like, oh, where are you going? We just met. She goes, I'm going back to my mom's. I'm going to live over there. And I'm like, but we're friends. We're hanging out. We're we're getting to know each other. She's like, yeah, I'm going to live over there for now on for a while. I'm like, okay. So long distance relationship, just kept in touch. I would come visit over here. She would come visit me over there. I ran up a um, Southwest car to like $2,500 of just flights back and forth for each other. Every other like two months, we would fly and see each other. Long story short, we ended up having a baby, a three-year-old, Joey Ray Ortega is my son. And we, I come on my horse, I drive to Napa and I pick her up and I take her back with me. We're living in a garage. We're trying to make it. My son's zero to three years old where we, we trying to figure it out. I'm like going nowhere fast still. And I'm like, she goes, let's move to Napa. And I was like, uh, I don't want to go move with your parents. You know, I, and right now I don't even have a job. How am I going to go and left forward to go live in Napa? She says, my mom, they have a three bedroom house. It's only my mom and dad. There's two rooms flooded with furniture and beds and there's nobody living there. So then I was like, well, maybe then, you know, I was like, I'm doing nothing here in LA. I I can't even get a job, like barely at a charter school and a private school. And then there's only like one or two teachers per school anyway. So it was really, really hard to get a job. So I have a credential, I have a degree, I have loans and I don't have a job as a teacher. So I just said, you know what? F it. I put my clothes, my car, my kid and myself and my, my girlfriend, we, we drove back to Napa. We stayed with their parents for like six months. I found a teaching job right away at a dual immersion school. And I walk into the school and I was a substitute. And they said, you're going to speak Spanish 90% of the time and only 10% English. And I'm like, what? I was so confused. I'm like, where am I at? They go, this is a dual immersion school. We learn Spanish first and English second. I'm like, they don't even have this in LA. <laughs> you know what That's I mean? That's freaking like, rad. So freaking awesome. It's a, it's a dual immersion school, Napa Valley Language Academy. Got to give them props. My son went there pre-K all the way to fifth grade. And now they're going to have this middle school called Unidos, which is the continuation part of their elementary. And then they go to high school. So they learn almost 12, 13 years of Spanish. 
really dive in. And, and my son's fluent in Spanish, fluent in English, musician, loves to do sports, just all over the place. There's a lot of things. So really, really proud to say that, you know, I'm his father and I'm raising this one great Samaritan in this world. And I stopped at one because I was like, my parents had four. My brother has three. I'm like, I'm good with just one. I already worked with the kids. <laughs> I don't want to come home to more voices. I'm like, one voice is enough. <laughs> so stopped at one, had my boy and um, started just teaching him breathing techniques, started teaching him mindfulness, started teaching him how to recite I am affirmations before bed for anxiety purposes, you know, because we all have anxiety one way or another. But the reason why, and here's here's some, some, um, insight and this is what this is what I came up with the reason why they don't teach us mindfulness the reason why they don't teach us breathing techniques because we are still school to jail pipeline still exists yeah. there's so many more institutions to put somebody in mental therapy rehab jail versus colleges and i heard a statistic one day since 1980 they've built one university in california and over 20 jails so that alone told me schools not where you need to learn the information that you need to be successful in life. We need to teach it in other locations, you know, sports and, you know, clubs and catechism or whatever. There was other avenues to learn besides school. And they're not teaching us how to change a tire, how to change a, uh, how to balance a checkbook, like you said, and, and how to, you know, go through life of applying for a loan. Like they don't teach us any of this stuff because they want us to be in debt. They want us to be stressed. They want us to be anxiety driven because then we make more mistakes. Then we go jump in the car drinking and driving. Then we go try to steal something because we don't have something. And again, I saw my friends do it and I was like, okay, I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want to do that. So I got to go earn my money. So I try to do it in the positive way. But once I realized that schools were not teaching this, I took it upon myself. And eight years ago, I started teaching my students mindfulness. I started teaching them breathing techniques. I started teaching them I am affirmations. And people are looking at me like, what are you doing? Why are they laying down? Why are they sitting? How come they're not running and doing PE stuff? And I'm like, and I would imagine, especially being Latino, there is like this extra side eye at you because that's not what we learn in our community, right? That not only that, that's not what we teach as teachers. So now the teachers that are professionals that have degrees and masters are not even doing it either. And they're like looking at me kind of with that, that like, what are you doing? And I, it made my job easier because classroom management became easier. The kids were more engaged. They were more focused. They were more ready to listen and play. And then when I would blow my whistle, they would stop. They would take some deep breaths. They would recite I am affirmations. Then they would get in line. And everybody's looking at me like, how do you have these kids under control like this? We can't even control them in the classroom. And I had 60, 80 kids. They had 20, 25. And they were like looking at me like, how do you, how are you doing this? And I go, mindfulness. I go, I'm teaching them these techniques. I go, you should teach them. Basically, I'm like kind of telling them, but they didn't want to change their ways of being. So I was like, I'm going to keep doing it. If you're not going to do it, I'll do it. So I had access to 700 students at NVLA. I went to another school. I had access to 300 students. I went to the third school. I had 200 students. So I've been blessed to have taught over a thousand students in Napa how to be mindful. From that moment on, I'm just like, okay, adults never got this. We never got mindfulness. No wonder why we're outside anxiety driven on pills, in rehab, in jail, AA meetings. And I'm just like, this is why we're all screwed up. We never got a simple basic tool of breathing, of calming, of lowering the stress level, the heart rate, the blood sugar levels, just with breathing. So statistically, when I read that these things were helping people, I took it upon myself to do it. And then when I started teaching adults, I did a 60-parent migrant ed Spanish mindfulness for 60 parents from the ages of 21 to 65 years old. They had never heard of mindfulness. They had never heard of meditation. They had never heard of breathing techniques. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell? This is unacceptable. But I was blessed enough to be able to teach them this. And it was a beautiful moment. I had, it was emotional. It's almost hard for me to speak about it because I might just start crying because it was that emotional. It was that impactful that they're looking at me like, see, si, maestro, tienes derecho. You're right. You're right. You're right. Like everything I was telling them, they're like, you're right. But my very first thing that I told these parents was, turn off the noticias, turn off the novelas. My very first words out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? Hell no. We do that every day from 11 to 11. We watch TV and novelas, noticias all day long. I said, yes. I go, your kids are coming to school with DACA, with immigration, with deportation, with ICE, with whatever they were listening to. And then that's just the news. Then the novelas, the infidelity, the fighting, the screaming, the yelling, the bottles breaking, the blood. We're teaching our kids this stuff. 
no wonder why we have this angry aggression machismo you know this 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 way of being because we see it all day so i told them my very first words and i don't know where it came from <clears throat> i said turn off the novelas turn off the noticias people in Spanish. Everything was in Spanish. And my Spanish was broken. I went to Monterrey at 22 years old to go learn more Spanish. Right after JC, I went to Monterrey, Mexico to go learn more Spanish because my Spanish was very broken. And that helped me. In the midst of being there for four years, my parents divorced after 30 years. Went on, came back. My brother took me under his wing, gave me a little place to, to live into and says, pay me $100 a month and just pay your own school at CESA. Perfect. Gave me a huge opportunity to at least have a home, a roof over my head and and just owe everything to them. You know, I mean, I, I, it's hard to ever repay them for this stuff, you know, but mm-hmm. I went on and graduated and they were very proud of me because they didn't graduate. You know, they they never made it that far. They, they didn't like it either. They were like, nah, I'm just going to go work. I'm just going to go make money. And I went to college and I stuck it out and I finished it. So then when I saw that the adults are not learning this, I was like, I'm in wine country. There's a big avenue for this and no one's touching on this. So I'm driving one day and some guy says, winefulness. And I'm like, boop, put it in my brain. I just put it in my head. And two years later, I was like, I looked it up online. And in the UK, Italy, and France, winefulness exists as a form of getting your wine at the winery. And they're going to teach you how to breathe and calm and do the five S's with wine. I was like, genius. (laughs) They go hand in hand. Being wine, I call it being wineful. One of my words that I'm trying to trademark pretty soon um, is having your wine chilling, sniffing it, swirling it, swishering it, savoring it, trying to find the note in it. That's as mindful as it gets. Mm -hmm. And so when I made the correlation, I thought, well, I'm going to start teaching adults now. I'm going to go start teaching whole staffers at wineries, eateries, and hotels how to be mindful with and without wine. And then when the people walk into the facility, they are a little bit more mindful. The energy kind of trades off and they can be a little bit more calm and relaxed, the person that's visiting. And then they get the experience of being mindful and having one, two for right. one. And so from then on, I just took off with it and, and I got the rights to Winefulness Inc. I'm about to trademark the word winefulness. Be Winefull is one of my slogans. I'm going to start making gear, hats, you name it. I want to go all out with it. But my whole objective was teaching mindfulness first. That's my, I mean, till this day, that's my objective. I want to teach any of everybody I come across in my car for a wine tour. I do Uber and Lyft just to make connections with the community. I'm handing out my card all day. And they're like, everybody I give it to, they're like, this is genius. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. This is awesome. Why didn't I think of that? And I'm like, I just want to teach mindfulness, but I'm here in wine country and I want to get into the wineries. I don't want to pick grapes. I don't want to pour wine. I don't have any knowledge in it, but I want to teach more people and I want to teach leaders and I want more people. You got to meet people where they are, right? Exactly. I want to make sure we get to what you, this thing that you're saying you're, you're working on. So I want to give you the opportunity to like share what you're working on. That's going to be coming soon. I'm only going to share a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. And then when it's ready, then we'll help, oh, we're gonna, we'll help we're you gonna, announce the whole thing. It's going to it's gonna be um, something that's been long overdue here in Napa that for 10 years, me being a teacher, I've been on the outside looking in. I'm like, how can I help? How can I impact? What can I do? So I realized people come to Napa and I had these three young ladies that were RNs from El Salvador the other day from um, from, from, from LA, from um, Inglewood. And they said... Um, where are the Latino wineries? Where are the Latino spots? Where's the Mexican restaurants? Where's the this? Where's the that? And I was like, well, where's, there's Honrama and there's Ceja and there's Robledo and there. But I'm like, that's only three or four that I know. I go, um, hello, go to the directory. Oh, trust me, trust me. I know, but this was before I knew you existed. So when they told me this, I'm like, oh, well, there are these three, four. But I'm like, but oh, there's so many of them. Why am I only going to tell them about those three or four? Why isn't there already something embedded in a system for them to come in and look at all of them all at once? So then I said, well, I'm going to create like a, a tour guide for the Latino community. So when the people come into town, they could click on this website. They could maybe download this app. They can um, purchase this book that I'm going to create that I'm in prototype right now. And then they can just know where everything is at as far as wineries wine tasting rooms, food locations, anything that's Mexican, Latino, Hispanic, you name it, that has raza under it. I wanted to highlight it. Oh, I'm going to highlight it. And everybody that I've spoken to is like very animated. They're very giddy about it. They're like, we need that. We want that. They promote themselves on social media. They promote themselves on their their websites, but that's it. 
there's no other way of promoting themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if I can create this system for them, it's going to highlight everybody all at once. And when people come, there's going to be regions. The Carneros region, we have Ceja, Robledo, we have Honrama. And in the yeah. Home Mountain region, we have this, that, and that one. And in the Pope Valley, we, you know what I mean? In Calistoga, tenemos estas. So people are like, that is amazing. We need that. So I've been working on that on the on the low pro. I have a bunch of support. I have people that want it, that want it, that need it. And they're like, how can we help you? What can we do? And I haven't even told like Mava yet. I haven't even told these big, big wine, the big dogs, you know, because yeah, I was like, and hey, honestly, man. that's how I got started. I was with, with I found Mava and I reached out and they have been Angelica and Guillermo have been awesome. Um, and that's how I met um, Miriam and Lola. And that's, you know, in with uh Yamas and Londrama and yeah. Herencia, like that's how I met them. And then they were like, Yeah, we want to tell you about more. Yes. And so I've just been keeping it such on the hush hush. I've just been kind of going to this to Yamas there. He says, I'm in. Ortega Family Wines, his sushi's like, I'm in. Honrama has been a number one support of mine from day one. I've already done a couple of mindfulness sessions with her and her family and friends, even to the point we did mindfulness and some facials with her. We did some stretching and yoga and mindfulness. So we've done a few different events and we have another one coming next month. I would love to invite you. I'm trying to do my mindfulness launch at Honrama Ranch. Uh, she has like seven horses. They just mm-hmm. were interviewed in Telemundo about the charro, about the racing, about the girl dancing on the horde. I mean, you name it, they do it all. So I'm their number one fan. They're my number one fan. We're like, we're like seeing eye to eye and we're just, we want to promote each other and push each other's agendas. They have something. I don't have anything, but I'm creating something that they mm-hmm. are like, we want it. So let's work together. So I said, yeah. let's go. So we've been hand in hand, just kind of exploring the different pop-up events. They just had a pop-up event at Honrama, which was an international women's field of all women that were selling little bracelets and crystals. And your friend was there as well, selling her things and her family, rustic pastries. I mean, they were like, it made me so proud to see them selling. Mom was selling her goodies. The daughter. Yes, uh, Eva. Yeah, and we're Eva selling and Giselle. Food. I'm very good at yeah. friends. With, yeah, yeah. I, me and, and Giselle then, actually do some, we do business together. We actually mm-hmm. own a, a business together. I, yeah. Well, we talked the other day and she told me, I go, ah, oh, why not? She said, that's my business part. I'm like, what, what a small world. I go, man, I go, we're going to have an interview the other day. And it was like around that time. Uh-huh. And then we canceled. So it was like, oh, she goes, I said, tell her, I said, hi, la, la, la. And then her daughter was selling for some other girl. So I'm like, dude, this is lineage right here. This is generational. She goes, and then, and then the one from Rustic, I forgot him. Uh, she goes, I'm going to be my mom. Eva, she's not going to be my mom next time. I go, that's going to be amazing. I go, that's what we need. We need that tradition, that culture, that richness, that, that people, it's just instilled. It's in our blood. You know, so I, when I started telling them my ideas and I got all their information, I got all their phone numbers. I said, I'm going to have a pop-up. I want you to be there too. They're like, tell me when it is. Give me the date. Give me the time. I want to be there. So made my connections, got into this raffle for the night at home. They had a raffle and I told the boy, I said, I'm going to win. He's like, yeah, right. I go, you got change for a hundred. He goes, no, they're $20 each. He goes, just buy five. I go, no, I'm good with just one. And he's just a market, he's a market, you know, market mm-hmm. uh, dude. He's just a, a seller. He's just a number one seller for the family. He sells hats. He sells shirts. He sells everything. Okay, yeah. So cute. So I I'm said, gonna, no, I just have one. to call Miriam because they always say I can stay at the ranch. So I'm be like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Tell me you need your room and uh, I'll let you know when the date is. And um, so I put my name on it and I put my son's initials, JR, Joey Ray. And for some reason, every time I put his initials, we went in <laughs> the Super Bowl. We went up, we won some money. And this time I go, I'm going to put JR. They call the name Sergio. And then she looks at me, Miriam looks at me. He's like, can't be him. She goes, what's your address? And I told him, she goes, you won. And I looked at her son. I go, I told you. And he's like shaking his head like, you did, you did. And I go, that's manifestation. I go, that's manifestation. I go, I threw it out to the universe. I told you I was going to win and I won. And he's looking at me like, how did you do that? You know what I mean? He's puzzled. He is so puzzled. And I'm just laughing. I'm just kind of like just joking about it. And so she says, hey, you have an opportunity to bring people to the ranch. You know, you can bring, you know, eight to 12 people. I go, I don't even want to do that. I want to have an event there. She goes, even better. Let's do it. So she's bought into my vision. Uh, She's opening up her doors for me. I want to highlight her wine, have people come taste all her wines. And and it's going to be a win-win for us. So we're looking forward to, you know, getting our date time frame and and just making sure we have all the T's crossed, the I's dotted. And and we're going to have a little event pretty soon at Home Rama Ranch. So we'd love to let all of you know about it pretty soon. So what's the one thing that you... Before, you know, I want to be respectful of your time and and everything because 
time flies on wine and cheese, man. We've already been for like an hour. Yeah. And I can um, talk forever. You know that I'm a teacher. So that's all I do. Is <laughs> if there's one thing that you want people to walk away from and one thing you want your son to walk away from, what would that be? Master breathing techniques. How can people find you on social media? Do you have a website? I know you have social media, but tell people how they can find you. Yeah, I have uh, winefulness.org is my website that I created from scratch, just highlighting breathing techniques, calming exercises, the I am affirmations, the five S's to wine. I started two months before COVID. So then COVID happened like, oh, not a good time to start. But then it was, it was a blessing in disguise. Everybody became more mindful. And so mindful of their mask, mindful of their distance. So it highlighted my, my, my agenda. And so um, in my website, I created a quarantine mindfulness because we're about to go in quarantine for who knew how long. We were going to be isolated from the world. We couldn't go visit our family and we didn't know what was going to happen. So I. So my a- computer is about to die. So I want to make sure okay. you get like your IG on there as well. Yep. yep, yep. So wine- no, for sure. Winefulness Napa Valley is my IG. Winefulness.org is my page. Go on there, click menu, click be mindful, look for the mindfulness session and do it. Practice it, learn it, teach other people about it is my main objective in life right now. Learn mindfulness. And we will make sure to have all of that on our on the show notes as well. Yes. So Sergio, thank you so, so much. You're welcome. For sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And you guys go follow him. And hopefully, you know, if you're going to be in the Napa area, maybe you'll be able to join one of his events in the future. So until yep, next yep. time. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.